All right, everybody. Well, welcome here. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors of this church. Uh, before we jump in, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to you all. Uh, just, a, just a quick thank you for, for your flexibility as a church. I find myself really grateful for you guys rolling with the punches these days. I mean, you're here at church at 5.30. That's a weird time, no matter which way you slice it. And last week was online randomly because of the pre-booking, all these different things. I just want to say thanks. Uh, it really is a joy to be able to gather with you. It warms my heart so much, and uh, it's more of a personal thank you because sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes the, the dice get rolled, and yet you're here, and you're worshiping, and it builds my faith, and I feel really grateful. So um, we're going to continue in our, in our Relational Rhythm series today. We only have two more, this one and next week, and then we'll be jumping into that three-part Christmas series that Tara was mentioning. So we have two more. Just a quick recap for you, for those that are new, maybe it's your first time listening. What we've been up to over the last, I think it's, did that say 11, week 11? Uh, the last 11 weeks is we've been looking at different, uh, sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines, uh, things that we do to deepen our relationship with God, things that are day in, day out. We've been calling them relational rhythms. We've been looking at things like prayer and fasting and Bible reading and giving and all that sort of stuff. And today we get to look at the topic of obedience as a rhythm in our life that deepens our relationship with God and with other people. And so obedience, this has been a tall task actually over the last little while for me personally as I've been doing a bunch of research looking into it. Obedience is a very tricky thing to explain, I've discovered. It's just there's a lot to it. There's a thousand different ways you can go. But uh, what was helpful was being framed in by this concept of how does obedience become a rhythm in our life that helps us grow in our relationship with God? So that's, that's, the, that's the lens we're going to be looking at it through today. And so uh, just as a preliminary question for you to get us on the same page, I wonder if you see obedience as a, as a deeply relational concept. I wonder if that's something that's, you know, is that intuitive? To go, oh, obedience, of course. That has to do with deepening relationships. You know, is that, is that the first thing you think of? I don't know, when I hear the word obedience, it conjures a lot of different words. Not necessarily, you know, growing in relationship. Um, I, have a, I have an observation of what I think the concept of obedience sometimes gets translated to uh, in the church, maybe in your relationship with God, at least it does for me, is obedience gets, takes this little funny twist and it goes, oh, having a practice of obedience. Oh, uh, you mean having a practice of trying to understand how God works. Oh, you mean having a practice of really delving into why I should obey why God would say that, how it's going to work out, what are the fruits of that, how much it's going to cost me. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm going to engage with God in this dialogue the whole time. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to talk to other people, I'll show up to church, I'm going to take notes even sometimes in this sermon. I'm going to wrestle it through, but perhaps there's a difference between having a habit of obedience and having a habit of doing lots of research to try and understand why said instruction may or may not be beneficial. And I think we could, what I want to talk about today is, is there a difference between those two things? Is there a difference between obeying and then going, okay, let's go on a research project about why that may or may not be good? Uh, it's sneaky because it still feels like we're communicating with God, but I think there's something that gets put in between us and God when we go, all right, here's your word. Now let's see how this is going to work out for me. Let me, let me do a little analysis and we'll do a little cost-benefit, me and the Lord, and we'll see if I'll end up obeying. Now, obviously, it's, it's, uh, we're not throwing our brains away when we follow Jesus. It's a deeply intellectual practice. I'm in, I'm in the middle of seminary right now. There's a lot to know. 
God designed a very intricate world that is fascinating. And there's lots you and I are never going to understand. And it might take this crazy thing called trust of the person who created it all. So there's a bit of a tension there. Here's my personal example of uh, the difference between just obeying and trying to understand. I have this thing I can't understand right now in my life. And it's this idea of, I feel really called, if I can throw that word around, to, to live and do ministry here in this uh, city we call Vancouver. Uh, really expensive place to live. Maybe you guys have noticed that. Doesn't matter how far you go. Now you can't even live in Kelowna. I mean, I don't know, is Kelowna considered Vancouver? It's all, it's all expensive now. And unless you move to a place you've never heard of, uh, it's just going to be impossible. So then I have that. I have that little hope, dream, calling, dare I say. With this other thing that God uh, it for sure is asked. I don't know if he's asked me to live in Vancouver forever. I'd like to. Feels right. But then there's this thing that's certainly in scripture called uh, be generous. Um, give, like give away. Don't, don't hoard. Don't be greedy. Be generous with everybody around you. Be taken advantage of sometimes in the area of finances if it blesses other people. Like I want you to live a generous life and have it all flow through you. And it's not going to make sense all the time. So I'm going, okay, those two things don't line up currently. And, uh, and yet you call, I'm called to obey you. And right now I don't understand. So how does this little awkward moment of not knowing exactly how that's going to work, how does that play out? How does that deepen my relationship with him? So here's the problem for this whole understanding thing being our grid. I do, it, I do it so instinctively. Hey, you feel like you get called to do something. Hey, why don't you be generous? Why don't you give your money away? Or why don't you have an empty room in your house that you're not collecting rent for or something? And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. So here, here's, the, here's the problem with understanding being our grid is usually it's short-sighted and it's often based on our feelings, right? We can't really see how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to, I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm, I have, I'm such a short side. My horizon is so small in life. Like three weeks-ish? <laughs> like, I don't know, how far can you see ahead with any sort of sense of confidence? It's not that far. And I make my decision based on feelings. Not knowing where your money's coming from doesn't feel great. And you stop that as fast as you can. So with an understanding as our grid, mixed with our short-sightedness and our feelings orientation, it's not a great mix for this thing we call faith that, we, that seems to be a super essential part of what we're up to here as a church in following Jesus. So here's what I feel like happens. This is what happens in my life. We bounce back and forth between these two things. We bounce back and forth between disobedience, which is very easy to understand on our grid. Sin, disobeying God, all has great reasons. Usually, it makes sense to me. It's short-sighted. I can see it. It's within the, it's within the next three weeks. <laughs> and, uh, and it feels great. So disobedience has tons of perks. And then we, but then we kind of feel bad about that, right? We get a little guilty. So then we go over to uh, what we kind of call religion is trying to understand God. Okay, fine, I'm going to obey, but remember I have to understand. So explain this to me, and I need to see how it's going to work out. Of course, it never works. It never makes enough sense. We get frustrated and tired with that deal. So we go back to disobedience because at least it makes sense and I understand what's going on. And we bounce back and forth between these two realities of, I mean, it's called religion and rebellion, and we just sort of ping-pong back and forth. And I do this all the time because I have this innate desire to know, and I think the Bible calls, the, calls that control. I have a desire to control, and what is handy about the pendulum is I'm in control the whole time, you know? Because over here, if God isn't making sense, well, I'll just disobey. <laughs> it's pretty easy. And the whole time, I'm totally in control. 
And what we wind up with, I speak personally, what I wind up with is this thing that I call being reasonable. Okay, so we have this, you know, God calls us, be obedient to me in all these crazy ways. And then I wind up reasonable and realistic. Aren't those lovely words? Realistic, reasonable, responsible. That's way better than disobedient and, you know, frustrated. I'm reasonable. And, um, you know, sin isn't all that bad and drastic, right? So we'll just belittle the sin and the disobedience. It's not quite so bad. And uh, it's, isn't it, isn't it, is it so crazy to expect to know a little bit about what's going on? Like, it doesn't seem that. And so what we do is we find this line of best fit and we go, let's not have sin be so bad and let's not have our hopes and dreams and uh, let's have, not have our obedience be so extreme and so blind. Let's just live reasonable Christian lives. That makes sense. So this kind of obedience, we, we, we see a whole different kind of obedience in scripture all the time. I listed a few. We see like the leap of faith kind of obedience. You know the ones that need miracles? I, always, I, I like to picture Moses walking out in front of all the Israelites with a stick in his hand towards the ocean and him going, well, this is gonna be, not, I mean, I don't know what's gonna, what are you gonna do? Like the, the moment of like, I have a stick and a, <laughs> I'm in an ocean. Like it, but it's such a cool story. And it's amazing how God comes through. Leap of faith kind of obedience. That's, I mean, Moses certainly didn't understand. Costly obedience. We see all kinds of costly obedience. Jesus is a pretty good example of that one. Doing things that don't feel great. I don't do that a lot when I'm trying to understand. Long obedience. Long, like it's it's gonna take a while. Long obedience, obeying for a long time with no visible results. Also don't see a lot of that in my life when understanding is the goal. I found a quote in a book last night as I was reading just by happenstance, turned out it worked out really well. Uh, Listen to this, it says, in today's world, it's easy to see that believing in God doesn't necessarily mean much. The vast majority of people say they believe in God, but it's abundantly clear in the so-called Christian nations of the Western world that professing belief in God and allowing that belief to make any discernible difference in your life are two entirely different things. As obvious as this lapse of logic is, few seem to notice it. To believe in an all-powerful supreme being to whom you owe your very existence and yet to live as if you are the one in control doesn't appear strange. In fact, it feels really normal. Isn't that true? It's just like, it doesn't feel strange to pledge allegiance to an almighty savior who's in charge of everything who made you and yet live in control of your life largely. It feels very normal to me. There's a big disconnect there. So in order to understand how we have this kind of obedience um, that's beyond us, I wanna look at a story in Exodus. Uh, Exodus 19, you can put that verse up there. And this is a passage where uh, Moses has just led the Israelites out of the Red Sea, uh, through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, and they've come to this place called Mount Sinai, and it's where Israel kind of becomes a nation. And this is the chunk, this is the little chunk of nine verses that we're gonna read, where God says, this is how it's gonna work between you and me. This is how it's gonna work for me to be your God, nation of Israel, okay? So it says this. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai, After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you you are to tell the people of Israel. 
You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Uh, so, uh, that can be translated to peculiar possession, which I just think is very cute. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back, summoned the elders of, of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the beginning of God's relationship with the nation of Israel post-slavery. Here's an observation. I don't know if you picked this up, stood out to me as I was reading it again, is God's asking for obedience, but there's nothing to obey yet. You notice that? There aren't actually any rules yet. If you obey me and keep my covenant, which they don't know what that even looks like, <laughs> there's no rules. The Ten Commandments are the next chapter. Uh, first he says, if you keep my covenant with me, then, you know, this can work. Before there's even rules. And they agree. They agree, to, they agree to keep a covenant with God before they even know what the covenant's about. So in order to understand this, we have to do a little bit of a Bible nerd thing. And uh, we have to understand what an Israelite mind would have been doing at this exact moment. Okay, so there's this thing, uh, the way that uh, covenants and stuff worked back in the day, there's all kinds of covenants, and, uh, but there's one in particular. And uh, I've got to pronounce the name right. I think it's suzerain, suzerain and vassal. So what a suzerain and vassal covenant is, is a suzerain is like a large nation, okay? And what they would do is they would have a vassal nation that's smaller, weaker. And how that relationship would work is a suzerain would go, hey, uh, I will protect you in times when there's war. I will, uh, I will uh, give you land. I will let you even have your own, uh, oftentimes they would have their own customs and things, sometimes even their own um, governance system. Uh, but what I need from you is loyalty. So I'm gonna need a percentage of what you produce, and if I go to war, you gotta come with me, and that's actually pretty much it. You're part of my economic system now, too. So the deal was, is, is the, yeah, you have a suzerain who has a vassal, and there was one other stipulation that's very important for a vassal. It's you can only have one suzerain. You can't have multiple suzerains. Because what happens if the two suzerains go to war? And, uh, you know, you can't pledge your undying allegiance to more than one overlord, so to speak. So that's, that's the deal. And it happened all the time. So when Israel is seeing, hearing this, they're going, did we just get a suzerain? Did we just get, did we just get given, did, did we just get promised to be taken care of by a super powerful being? who at the time right now is showing up in cloud and fire and smoke on top of the mountain. Like this is, the Israelites are like, yes. I don't know what the rules are yet, yes. Whatever you are gonna say to do, whatever the covenant is, absolutely. Because otherwise, we're not a nation, we're gonna get wiped out, this is a great deal for them. So we kinda have to understand this. The point is saying, God is saying, you are entering into a covenant with me, where you give me your undying exclusive loyalty and I'll take care of you. And it's, it's funny, because. In the, it's deeply personal in the language you can hear it. God's saying, obey me fully. The ESV says, obey my voice. The word for obey is actually like hear. We have a word, we have the word called obey. They, they, they don't have a word for obey. They have a word, they just, it says hear me. That's their word for obey. 
<laughs> so they don't have one. They just, so it's deeply personal. God's like, all you gotta do is hear me, listen to me, know me, make a covenant with me, and this is gonna work out. So the implications. Through obedience, God is inviting his people to be loyal to him, not to a set of rules. Uh, and this is so different to our culture, right? Our culture, when we say obey, what do we say? Okay, obey what? Obey what? And how's it gonna work? And then I'll think about it. <laughs> Talk to some friends. But uh, a more biblical question is obey who? They're wondering who? Who's this God? Who's the suzerain? Is he powerful enough? Very, asking very different questions. So in the ancient Hebrew mind, the idea of obedience, and you've got to follow me on this. I'm sorry, I know it's heady, but you have to understand how profound obedience is and how different it is from the way that I understand it, and maybe you do too. Uh, in the Hebrew mind, the idea of obedience is synonymous with being faithful. Okay? Obedience and faithfulness to a covenant are the same thing. They're not thinking about what the obedience is gonna produce and whether they'll benefit. They're being obedient to a person and being loyal to a person because that's where salvation actually comes from. Is the who powerful enough? Is the who out for my best interest? That's a more ancient Hebrew biblical way of understanding this idea of obedience. So pause. How do you feel? How do you feel about the idea of obedience being more about the who who asked you to do it than the what of what it is. How do you feel about that? I find it deeply offensive and all kinds of uncomfortable. Don't you, doesn't all your, all your Western red flags go off? <laughs> That's really dangerous to be more interested in the who than the what. So for you, is obedience abstracted from who you're obeying? Did you do abstract it? Do you go, okay, here's the thing I've been asked to do, and then I stand over here, and I look at the what of, that, obe of that, that instruction or that thing I feel like I'm supposed to do, and then I consult some others. Maybe God's one of them. Hey, God, what do you think about this? What do you think about this thing I'm supposed to do over here? Maybe I'll consult a few friends, you know, and we all kind of stand around and look at this thing, you know, called an instruction or a rule, wondering how it's gonna pan out and whether it's gonna look, and I feel like God is just like, you've got this all backwards. Like you. Uh, like, look at me. Like, figure out what I'm doing. See who I am. So I find this to be a very different way of thinking about it. So for Israel, it's obvious. Who is a way better question? Because think, think about their scenario. We're slaves. We're wandering in a vast wilderness following this crazy guy. <laughs> like, who's it's just showed up out of nowhere. Who's calling down locusts from heaven. Like, we are wandering in the desert following a crazy guy and uh, we need a new home. Yes, please, we'll take a new leader. Yes, please. Now, is that so different from us? Like really, is that so different from us? And I wanna present to you today that we're not that different than an Israelite wandering around in the desert. I don't feel that way. We're slaves to sin, we're slaves to it. We wander around in the desert of our culture Sometimes we long for our slavery like the Israelites did because they're so confused as to why they're wandering around. And we're desperate for a place to call home that's safe. I just think we're not that different. And yet we have this whole other grid for obeying than they did. So I think we choose to ignore the gravity of our situation a lot and be reasonable and put ourselves at the center of our decisions. That's what I, that's what I do. 
Let's be reasonable, let's ignore the gravity of the situation, this isn't all that bad. And then being reasonable makes more sense. So here's what struck me as I was thinking about this, is that not even Jesus was at the center of his decisions. Do you guys know that? Do you guys know that he was following somebody else? Do you guys know that he was making who decisions as well? Like, like uh, I, only see what I, fo- I, uh, I only do what I see my father doing, that's what Jesus said. Uh, not my will, but your will be done. And he was obedient unto death to his father. He wasn't even at the center of his own decision making. Not even he understood, like, in some ways. He says, uh, if you can, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus modeled actually really well for us what it's like to uh, have a Lord. Like he only saw what his father was doing. He wasn't at the center of his decisions. He was loyal to somebody else. He was loyal to his father. He made who-based decisions. So I find it fascinating that living a perfect life like he did didn't include autonomy. Like he was, a, he was still faithful to God. He was still faithful to a person, still faithful to a covenant. And I think Jesus offers us the same thing. He's like, would you like salvation? Follow me. Would you like salvation? Have a new leader. Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is John 8. If you hold on to my teaching, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, he also said that he is the truth. So basically what he's saying here is, holding on to his teaching is holding on to him. He, there isn't something different, like if he is the truth, then obedience to him really is the way forward. There isn't some other thing to do. There's trusting him or not. There isn't an abstracted version of truth out there that maybe you and him could look at together. It's like, no, 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 hold to my teaching, hold to me. Then you'll know the truth. I am the truth. So God says to Israel, put me in charge so I can save you. And then Jesus says to us, put me in charge so I can save you. (laughs) It's It's not something different going on. So uh, I just want to talk about a couple of things that happens when we let Jesus lead. And this, is, this would be my hope for us as we wrestle through this idea of obeying a person as opposed to obeying a set of rules and trying to understand them. Here's what happens when we do that. Is we get to live in a way, this is the first thing, we get to live in a way that's solely based on who God is. Now that's pretty fun. Because uh, the Hebrews, now having a powerful cesarean, like that's salvation to them. And their only responsibility was to be obedient and to be covenantally faithful. And when you don't understand and you can't see over the horizon like we so often can't, uh, the only thing that we can rely on is who God is at that point, like who he says he is. So uh, you ever ask the question like, what, what do we do? The, the most logical answer to that question is, well, who is God? What does God say he's able to do? And so when I'm thinking about a situation in my life that doesn't make any sense, I'm going, well, I don't know how this is all gonna work, Lord. The only thing that I have to turn on when it's him, like uh, when I'm following him only, is really, well then who are you? What are you capable of? What What do you promise? Who do you say that you are? And now obedience to him becomes this rhythm of knowing more and more about who he is because it's actually all I have. Who you are is really all that I have. You, your promises have to work. You, I, I have to trust you. I, I just have to now. It, that's, that's like, it's scary, but it's also really comforting. The idea that I could live my life in response to 
God, who created the world, that knows me fully, and, knows ex- and has a plan, and is capable, and his power is able to work through my life, is salvation. Like, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> you, can, there's, you don't have to do it on your own anymore. And so I find this tremendously liberating of going, okay, uh, what does it look like to live my life that requires the fullness of who God is? And I think obedience is really helpful for us. Um, uh, we were talking about this in staff meeting. We were just chewing on the topic of, of obedience this last Tuesday. And I forget who said it, but somebody said a great quote of, uh, of they heard that uh, you're not a good soldier if you ask too many questions. It's like a, the definition of a bad soldier is somebody that asks too many questions. Because your job is not to wonder. That you, you throw a wrench in the system if you're wondering too much. There is a plan that's constructed somewhere in some tent that's far away, and your role is to, do, is to follow orders. That's the whole, <laughs> that's how it works. And if you don't, you're a really bad soldier, not because it's not good to not know things, but you trying to know things is going to throw everything out of whack. If you stop to ask a question, the guys on your left and right are in jeopardy. Now, of course, that metaphor falls apart to a certain extent for us, but what if we were following a general that already won the war? Like, that's, that's pretty good news. Like, we're following somebody that's like, I know where this is going, I win, uh, you can trust me, you're safe, your sins are forgiven, you're gonna be with me, I made a way for that, so you get to obey me now, and you get to do what I say, because I already won. And then all of a sudden asking questions, is, becomes a little more illogical. Now, I love asking questions of God. I really enjoy it. I find it super fun to engage them and go, how does this work? And how does that work? And I'd love to know this and I'd love to know that. But we all know the difference between asking a question based out of curiosity, which we do all the time, and based out of mistrust. And my questions often come out of mistrust and I stall. And the, the tragedy is I don't get to live in response to the fullness of who God is. I just love that it's not my job to wonder. It's not my job to wonder. Salvation. That sentence is uh, insulting to the proud, but I think it's salvation to the, to the humble. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it, Jesus says in Luke. I think another implication of treating obedience this way is that if a person is at the center of our decisions, obedience becomes a relational rhythm. And we exp- and we obey out of an expression of our covenant loyalty to God. We obey because we're loyal to him. We obey because we're a person. It's I'm yours versus I'll do as you say. Uh, I wanna obey because I'm yours and this is what people who are yours do. And it becomes an expression of covenant faithfulness to him. So I think we get to know the truth more and more experientially as we follow him and as we walk with him, and we get, to, we get to hold fast to his teaching, and we get to know him as obedience becomes this essential part of our life. So I think it's great to, to obey out of faithfulness. Jesus also said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Isn't that interesting? You're my friends if you do what I command you? That just doesn't make any sense to my mind sometimes. But, but he knows, oh, he knows how essential it is for us, to, for him to be in command. And he knows how short-sighted we are and he knows how little that we can possibly fathom and he knows that all we just need to do is trust him. And he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. We get to be close. Such great news. There's one last thing. 
Like obedience is also how God wants to show himself to the whole world. Uh, the promise of obedience, what he says is he's like, if you obey me, I'll make you a kingdom priest and a holy nation. If you obey me, you will turn in to the kinds of people that show who I am to the whole world. And there's one thing that that looks like. It looks like obeying me. Now, that seems kind of simple. It's like, oh, shouldn't there be more things? Like, if it was our job to display God to the whole world, like, don't we have to be shiny and perfect and have it all together and have slicker services? And Like, we're displaying God to the world for, for crying out loud. Like, this is a big task. And God says, here's your job. Obey me. Here's your whole job. You are going to show a radical, it's going to be radical to the whole world if you follow me and you trust me even when you don't understand sometimes. If you're loyal to a person and you're not anxious grasping, it's gonna blow everybody's minds. That's how I want to be displayed, is by a people who's covenantly faithful to me, even when it doesn't make sense, because they know I'm good. And that, people can't, that's an amazing thing, because you can't argue with that. I mean, like, you for sure didn't know how that was gonna work. You must know someone. Like, do you know something I don't know? <laughs> it's like, no, I know someone you don't know. Like, I know someone who's good. I know someone who's one. I know someone who set me free. I know I'm different. I've seen his faithfulness time and time again because I've been obedient and it didn't make sense and I for sure can't take the credit and all of a sudden we become a witness of something that doesn't make sense to the world. And then we realize that our understanding was the main thing shooting that in the foot the whole time because we we're trying to understand and our witness isn't all that good. It's like, yeah, I was a pretty decent person, I guess. That's how, I guess that's how I got here. I tried really hard. It's like everybody's trying hard. <laughs> Everybody's trying hard. But no, I want, I want to see miracles. You know, I want to see things that don't make sense. Francis Chan, one of such a good quote, he says, I want my life, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? I don't want my life to be explainable. I don't want to be reasonable. I want, I want to take leaps of faith with Jesus and not know how it's going to turn out. And I want to get to know his character more and more in the midst of it. I think as we're loyal to God, the world gets to know his power it transforms the world around us, I think. So in closing, uh, is there somewhere God is asking you to obey these days? In maybe a way that doesn't make a ton of sense. Maybe there's a way. And here's, what I'd, here's, here's my invitation to you today. Certainly we need to consult people. And certainly we need to have input. And certainly we need to delve into these matters and not make decisions flippantly. That's not what I'm saying today. It's to make, you know, just reactionary flippant decisions. That's not the point. The point is, is, is there a who at the center of your decision-making when it comes to obeying? Is it a who or is it a what? For Israel, they were so desperate that who was, an, was amazing news. They didn't care what. Thankfully, God's good, and all of his what's were really helpful, and they helped, they helped get to know the who better and better. That's what all the Ten Commandments are doing. It's like, here's how to follow me well, and I'm not leaving you in the dark, and here's the whole book of the law. And, but the whole point of all that stuff was just to help them get to know the who better. The law is best described as like a, the law that God gave them is like, this, well, this is what I look like. You know, this is what the people would look like. If you, this is, the law is, this is what I look like through you. I mean, it's not different. And so I would, I, would, I would encourage you, as you're looking at those spots and going, oh, I don't know how this is gonna work, and I, I feel like God's asked me to do this, love my enemy here, give here, be sacrificial here, trust him here, I would invite you to, to put him at the center of that and go like, Lord, what would you long to teach me about yourself here? 
Is there a way I can be faithful to you? Is there a way I can display you to the world? Is there something about your power that you would want to show me? Like, I want to know you, your salvation, you're the truth, not my ability to find it by my own efforts. I want to know you. And what's so beautiful about that is life starts to make lots of sense. I find on the other side of obedience, we always look back and go, man, that was a miracle, but like, there's just this, oh, there's this beautiful thing that happens where God is so kind to show us how he works and to show us what's going on, but not at the expense of us just being in his arms and knowing where our salvation lies and knowing that he's the one we actually need and knowing that trust is the most important thing. And I'm so grateful that he leaves these gaps of obedience for us. I'm so grateful that he does that because it helps me need him, helps me love him and trust him. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. Lord, I, I ask as we, as we wrestle through this topic of obedience to you, that you would teach us about what it means to follow you. And Lord, I just feel so desperate to be able to be centered on you and to make decisions based on your character. And so Father, right now, I, I, I just wanna leave some space for us as we, as we think about this. Um, uh, you can join with me in this. You can picture an area in your life, uh, an area of obedience, or maybe a, an area that you're struggling to obey in. Maybe there's some sin in your life and you keep disobeying God there. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity that feels scary. Uh, maybe there's a person to love that is just the worst <laughs> and doesn't deserve another chance. Um, here's, what, here's what I'd like to do just for a second. I'm just gonna give the Holy Spirit just a, just a, a minute to speak to us all. And uh, I'm gonna invite God to say to us who he is there. So Lord, we picture these situations and we go, we don't understand. Lord, our horizons are short. Lord, we make decisions that are based not in faith sometimes, but we wanna make decisions based on your character and who you say that you are. Because you say if we follow your commandments and we do what you say, we'll be blessed and we will know you. And so Father, right now, in this circumstance that we're thinking of, would you tell us who you are there? Give us a word. Give us a picture, a word, a sentence, a feeling. And we just give you space to speak. Reminded of a little story 
as I'm thinking back to God's faithfulness. And I was, uh, I was talking to my dad one time and we were thinking about a situation that wasn't making a lot of sense in our lives. And uh, it's like a low moment, short horizons, not a lot of sense, some pain. And uh, I remember my dad, he, was, he said something and it was like in the midst of just thinking and praying and quiet. And he said, uh, I don't know, I forget, I forget what the preamble was, but he said, I don't know, but, sh but, but he says, surely he. And I forget even what the other words were. It was a while ago, it was a bunch of years ago. But the words that are stuck in my head are surely he. I just, I haven't forgotten that. And that feels like an amazing way to live. Surely he. Dot, dot, dot. And we can just fill that in with all kinds of stuff, with all kinds of promises that are way bigger than you and me. With all kinds of promises that are way bigger than our, our feelings or what we understand. We just get to look at this book, this iPad, and we get to go, surely he saves. Surely he knows me. Surely he is enough. Surely he looks out for me. Surely he clothes me. Surely he has my best interest. Surely he knows the plans. Surely he's powerful enough. And church, I think that's what obedience is. Is we look and we go, I don't know, but surely he. And so Lord, whatever circumstances are in our lives, we say, surely you are good. Surely you are trustworthy. You've proved that with the way that you've loved us on the cross, the way that you were obedient, the way that you were faithful to your Father. And we say that you are good and you are trustworthy. Surely you are. So would our obedience be substantiated in this amazing thing you call faith? But faith in you, faith that's sure because of you. And so we lean on you as a church, as a family, in any of these circumstances. And Lord, I also pray that we would share with each other the things that we're struggling to obey. Lord, you don't ask us, ask us to do this perfectly. You ask us to do it humbly and openly. So Lord, we're humble and open with you now and with others in this week to come. And we say, Lord, speak your power and presence and goodness and truth into these gaps that we don't understand in our obedience of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship in response.